caution she pinned the flap of her tent down securely with a row of safety pins and mr stott not only slept in more of his clothes than usual but put a pair of brass knuckles under his pillow these brass knuckles had been presented to mr stott by a grateful client for whom he had obtained damages from a street railway company for injuries received through being ejected from a saloon six months prior to the date upon which he had fallen off the car step brass knuckles and a convenient length of lead pipe were favored weapons with the clientele which gave to the waiting-room of mr stott's law office an odor reminiscent of a wayfarer's lodging-house the night was a dark one so dark in fact that old mr penrose felt some little hesitation when it came bedtime over going off to sleep by himself in the brush where owing to his unfortunate habit of snoring so loud as to be beyond anything human they now placed his teepee there was not a glimmer of moonlight or starlight to guide him as he went stumbling and crashing through the brush to his rag residence his thoughts were not so much of four-footed visitors as of footpads and the ease with which they could attack him and get away with his grandfather's watch which he was wearing out in the open mr apple was enjoying the novelty tremendously though he was a little too warm for comfort in his fleece-lined bag but after the last candle had been extinguished he called to his wife cheerily are you all right dearie mrs apple was not to be so easily propitiated and did not answer so he called again this is great simply great i wish you were here with me only mr apple and his maker knew that he screwed up his cheek and winked at the fabrication sleep came quickly to the tired tourists and soon there was no sound save the distant tinkle of the bell on one of the horses and the faint rumble of mr penrose's slumbers it was eleven o'clock or thereabouts and the clouds had rifted letting through the starlight when dark forms began to lumber from the surrounding woods and pad around the camp sniffing at various objects and breathing heavily there were bears of all sizes and ages ranging from yearlings to grandfathers whose birthdays were lost in antiquity mr apple who was a light sleeper and the first to discover them would have sworn on a monument of bibles that there were at least fifty of them the size of mastodons palpitating in his sleeping bag in the midst of them he may be excused for exaggeration although exactly there were only eight of them the cold sweat broke out on mr apple and he thought that surely the thumping of his heart must attract their attention in such mortal terror as he never had experienced or imagined he quaked while he speculated as to whether the bear that first discovered him would disembowel him with one stroke of his mighty paw and leave him or would scrunch his head between his paws and sit down and eat on him but once the bears had located the supply wagon they went about their business like trained burglars standing on their hind legs they crowded about it tearing open sacks scattering food tossing things hither and thither jostling each other and grunting when they found something to their liking their grunting and quarreling finally awakened hicks and mcgonagall who started up in their blankets yelling 
Their whoops aroused everybody except old Mr. Penrose, who was sleeping with his deaf ear uppermost and would not have heard a big Bertha. Mr. Stott slipped on his brass knuckles and stood with his head out of the tent opening, adding his shouts to those of Hicks and McGonagall, who, by now, were hurling such missiles as they could lay their hands on. Instead of having hysterics, as might have been expected, Aunt Lizzie Philbrick astonished herself and others by standing out in the open with her petticoat over her nightgown, prepared to give battle with the heel of her slipper to the first bear that attacked her. It was not until Mr. Hicks got hold of two wash basins and used them as symbols that the bears paid any attention. But this sound, added to the pandemonium of screaming women, finally frightened them. Then, scattering in all directions, they started back to the shadows. Suddenly, Mr. Apple let out such a cry as seemed that it must not only split his throat, but rend the very heavens. Small wonder, a cinnamon bear weighing in the neighborhood of eight hundred pounds planted its left hind foot in the pit of his stomach as it went galloping away to the timber. In the brush, where Mr. Penrose had been sleeping tranquilly, other things were happening. In the midst of his slumbers, a dream in which he thought he was being dragged to the fire like a calf for branding, came to him. The dream grew so real that it awakened him. He received a swift and unpleasant impression that he was moving. Then he was startled to find that he was not only moving, but moving so rapidly that the canvas bottom of his tent was scraping on the rocks and brush over which it traveled. Mr. Penrose was enraged instantly. At best, he had little patience with practical jokers and none at all with one who had the impudence to awaken him. He called out angrily. The tent stopped moving, and there was quiet. Mr. Penrose, who had raised himself on his elbow, laid down and was about to begin where he had left off when his domicile resumed its journey. Now, thoroughly aroused, he sprang up and tore at the flap fastenings. This is going to stop right here, he cried furiously. I do not appreciate this odious western humor. You have chosen the wrong person to play your jokes on. He reached for the pointed fish pole, which was lying in its case in the bottom of the tent, and stepped through the opening. A burly figure in a big overcoat stood in the deep shadow, confronting him. Mr. Penrose was barefooted, and his soles were tender, but he advanced far enough to bring the pole down with a thwack upon the head of the intruder. Woof! Woof! The answer raised his hair and galvanized his whiskers. Woof! Woof! A great paw fanned the air. He could feel the wind from it plainly as it reached out to cuff him, and the claws on the end of it tore the front of the flannel shirt in which he slept to ribbons. Woof! Woof! And then a roar that reverberated through the temper. Mr. Penrose swore afterward that the hot breath of the brute was in his face, but the statement is open to question, since, at the first woof, he had fallen into his tent backward. No one dreamed of the adventure Mr. Penrose was having until he appeared among them with his shirt bosom in shreds and trembling like an aspen. In one hand he carried a sizable chunk of bacon. This, he cried, 
brandishing it, is what I found tied to my teepee. The explanation was obvious. Somebody had baited his tent for bear on purpose, and since there was no way of obtaining evidence against the culprit, Mr. Penrose, in his unreasoning rage, accused everybody. Ever since I came, you have all had a pick on me, he glared at them. You needn't think you're so smart. I haven't seen it. Everyone was so surprised at the accusation that they could only stare, speechless, at him. With his white beard, rags, and barefooted, Mr. Penrose looked like the Count of Monte Cristo, telling the world what he was going to do to it, as he added, waving the bacon. I'm going home tomorrow, to Delaware, back to my peach orchard. And if any one of you ever say you know me, much less speak to me, I shall deny it. I'm done with a whole caboodle of you. Protestations were useless, and efforts to dissuade him from his purpose of leaving. The next morning he packed his bag and started down the road without saying good-bye to anyone. His departure reduced the party to half its original number, and that was bad enough, but when by lunchtime Mr. Apple had developed a soreness which led him to believe he was injured internally and should consult a physician, the situation became infinitely worse to Wally and Pinky. As a matter of course, they expected his wife to accompany him but what they had not known was that Miss Gasket had been put in Mrs. Apple's charge by her parents, and, in the light of her indiscreet conduct with Mr. Stott, it was deemed best that she should return with them. It was a terrible disappointment to Miss Gasket, who cried bitterly and, in an unguarded moment, told her age, approximately, sobbing that it was preposterous that one of her years should not be permitted to finish a trip which she was so enjoying. End of Part 1 Chapter 24